The reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 16 to 39, and you'll find that on pages 1002 and 1003 of your church Bibles. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went out to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, The people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, And when they found him, they they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Last week, uh, we started a new series in Mark's Gospel. And last week, we saw Jesus enter the scene. And with Jesus comes a new kingdom. Here is King Jesus bringing in his new kingdom. And with a new kingdom is a new authority. And so this section we're looking at this evening speaks all about Jesus' authority. I wonder what comes to mind for you uh, when you hear the word authority. It doesn't seem to be a very uh, popular concept today. Only two days ago, I read um, about a survey that was done with 16 to 24-year-olds, and two stats really struck me, really stood out when it comes to people's attitudes to authorities. Here here they are. 
Only 18% of 16 to 24-year-olds trust business leaders to tell the truth. And only 12% of 16 to 24-year-olds trust politicians to tell the truth. So when we think of authority, here are 16 to 24-year-olds, of course, just a proportion of the population, but here are 16 to 24-year-olds, and they're saying 12 of them look at the authority of business leaders and doubt them to tell the truth. Sorry, 18 of them look at business leaders. 12% of them look at our politicians and doubt them to tell the truth. They're incredible stats. And, and of course, we're not here this evening to comment on um, the, the state of the government, but it's not hard to look at the events of this past week and weeks before that and see the breakdown in authority around our country. I wonder how you feel about the authorities that you maybe come under or are called to submit to, whether that's for you in the workplace, whether that's for you um, at college or at school. And yet, what I want us to remember is authority in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Imagine the workplace or schools or college with no authority. It would be crazy. In fact, I guess at its worst, no authority and there'd be anarchy. However, as we can probably all think of, there is such a thing as bad authority, as abused authority, as misplaced authority. So authority can be a good thing, just so often done in a bad way. And so the question can be, and maybe the question of 16 to 24-year-olds today, who can we trust? Jesus in this passage comes with authority. And do you see the reaction of the people? Verse 22, verse 27, they're amazed. And this is a positive amazement. I've been amazed at some of the events in Parliament, in government over the last few weeks, but it's not been a positive amazement. The people here are amazed, and it's positive. Here we see the authority of Jesus. And I want us to see as we look at these verses that this is an authority that it's done in a good way. It's an attractive authority that the people here are amazed at, and hopefully we this evening will be amazed at. It's a good authority done in a good way that is good for people both for Christians who trust in Jesus Christ, but also I hope, to, hope we see a good authority to those who don't currently trust in Jesus, an attractive authority, a beautiful authority. So we're going to have a look at three aspects of Jesus' authority in this passage. Jesus' authority to call, Jesus' authority over disease and demons, and Jesus' authority to preach. Here's Jesus bursting onto the scene, and here he is starting his ministry. And first we see his authority to call in verses 16 to 20. And as I read these verses out to us again, notice the immediacy of his authority and the totality of his authority to call. Verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. It's an immediate reaction. Did you see it? Verse 18, at once they left their nets and followed him. There's no delay, no procrastination, no debate about the situation. So different to authorities we see, so different to normal human authorities, whether it's parents convincing their children and me having to debate with Lily that it's worth putting a coat on when we go outside, whether it's teachers over students, whether it's bigger authorities that we see out there. Jesus calls grown adults, follow me, and at once they follow there's an immediate trust in Jesus' authority that says, I'm in. I'm with you, Jesus. And do you see the totality of this authority to call? These first disciples, they leave all to follow Jesus. Everything that is precious to them. Simon and Andrew, they leave their nets, verse 18. James and John, they leave their father, verse 19. They're prepared to leave their livelihood their careers, their possessions, in order to follow Jesus. They abandon a life without Jesus to choose a life with Jesus. And so as we think about what this means for us, I think we need to be careful. I don't think this is saying a call to to give up our careers, to give up our possessions, to abandon our families, to follow Jesus. But I rather, I think, this is a call to a radical reorientation of the priorities in our lives. You see, God has the audacity, but the right, to say, hey, I created you. I've given you every good gift that you enjoy. And so I need to be number one in your life all the time. It means a radical reorientation of the priorities and everything we relate to in our lives. It means letting his rule and his reign rise up against anything and everything that we have in our lives. And so as I was prepping this this week, I I needed to look in the mirror and say, is is that true of my life? What, What does that look like for me? And so can I ask, Is that true for you? What does that look like for you at the moment? The areas of your life where where you might be hesitating or or resisting rather than giving total and immediate obedience to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's at at work or, or at school or at college, your Monday to Friday. Come to church every Sunday. Would definitely call yourself a Christian, but to let... To let Jesus shape the way that you are at school or at work. To let him shape the way that you interact with other people. Maybe it's your relationships, how you relate to other people around you. Whether that's at home with your family. Whether that's with friends. Whether that's strangers on the street. And yet, maybe more now than ever, 
the challenge of the culture we live in at the moment is that they are telling us, you must keep your faith a private thing. It was said a few years ago that we don't do God in this country anymore. And so the growing norm is just keep your faith private. Don't bring it into the school or the workplace or the public sphere. Jesus calls us to an immediate and a total trust of following him. And so that includes every area of our lives. Jesus has the authority to call. And then second, Jesus has authority over demons and disease, verses 21 to 34. Notice the quick scene change from Mark. We touched on this last week. Mark is the fast-paced gospel as he moves from scene to scene. And so he moves us from the seaside to the synagogue, from the first disciples to those religious crowds. Jesus and his new disciples, they head to Capernaum. They enter the synagogue, and Jesus begins to teach. And as we've already touched on, the people are amazed, verse 22. And then, verse 23, just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. An evil spirit cries out at Jesus. And do you notice how he identifies Jesus? He identifies both the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, he recognizes his humanity. What do you want with us, the Holy One of God? He recognizes his divinity. And do you notice the plural in what he says? He says, what do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? You see, this isn't just one evil spirit. This is one evil spirit representing the whole evil spiritual realm. And it recognizes Jesus. And it wants to know, what have you come to do with us? One of the themes we'll notice as we work and travel through Mark's gospel is conflict. Wherever Jesus seems to go, there's conflict with different groups of people. And here we have conflict. Conflict between Jesus and the evil spiritual realm. But this isn't a kind of duality, a good versus evil battle, cosmic battle, where where we're just not sure who's going to come out on top. Do you see the authority that Jesus displays over evil? Verse 25. Be quiet, Jesus says sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Just a few words. Be quiet. Literally means be muzzled. In the same way that a farmer would muzzle the mouth of an animal. And yet here Jesus just needs to use a few words. Jesus has authority. He's in control of the spiritual realm. And so as the people sum up in verse 27, he gives orders and they obey. But it's not just evil, but it's physical illness. Have a look down at verse 29. We see the quick pace again of Mark's writing. As soon as they left the synagogue, they go with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. 
where Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And so they tell Jesus. And so Jesus goes up to her, he takes her hand, and he helps her up. And I want, to be, I want us to be careful not to miss the astonishing nature of this miracle. Because there's a danger, maybe for two reasons, that we can miss this. Firstly is an over-familiarity with Jesus and the Gospels. We've maybe read the Gospels so much that we read this and go, yeah, that's what Jesus does. And secondly, is maybe a familiarity with modern medicine. You see, a fever isn't curable in the first century. There was no medicine to help. A fever was a deadly killer. But to Jesus, where well, he just goes up to her, he takes her by the hand, and up she gets. And so he continues, verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. As I heard someone once say, when Jesus enters town, the hospital's empty. Do you see the extent of his authority over the spiritual realm and over the physical realm? His total authority. But don't miss the nature of this authority. Because if someone with this kind of authority comes on the scene, we could easily be terrified of someone with this kind of authority. But it's a loving authority. He comes to heal, not to harm. He comes to serve you, not to domineer over you. He comes to dismiss evil, not to do evil. It's a great power, but it's a loving power. It's to protect and to do good. It's an attractive power. No wonder the people were amazed. And so we can look forward to a time where all evil, where all evil will be defeated in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm, where all sickness will be eradicated. But that can leave a question for now. What about now? Will we see these things? Are we to expect these kind of things now? Well, I think as we see our third point, we see Jesus' priority because he has authority to preach. I wonder if you had the kind of authority Jesus had, what you would get up to. I guess it's depicted in the box office classic, Bruce Almighty, if you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, it's a simple story, um, average film probably. A guy gets angry with God, complains at God, and God chooses, um, God lets him have his powers for a period of time. And the guy, what does he choose to do with all these powers? Well, everything that he wants for himself, right? Because the world tells us, look after number one. He soon realizes he can't cope and so gives his powers back to God. But I'm sure if we had that kind of power, we look after number one. We sort out the things that we want. I wonder what we would expect of Jesus and how we think he should use this kind of authority. Maybe we'd say all physical healing. Maybe we'd say an end to poverty. Maybe we'd say world peace. 
Well, it's striking to see here what Jesus chooses to use his authority primarily for. He uses it to preach. We see, we've seen that Jesus is preaching and his teaching. It's already amazing people, verses 21 and 22. And, and the contrast that the people are, are bringing out between Jesus' teaching and that of the teachers of the law is about authority. If you've been to university or if you're at college or looking forward to university, um, I look back and, and pretty much the first thing that was drummed into me whenever I had to write an academic essay was to avoid the danger of plagiarism. I think I was more scared of plagiarism than I was of passing an essay and getting it right because they told you, look, when you write an essay, it's not your authority. You've got to show where you're coming from. You've got to show your referencing to, see, to show who you're talking about. The point is, every essay that I wrote, it wasn't based on my authority. It's based on the authority of others. And so I've got to show that through all my referencing and footnoting and bibliographies. And the teachers of the law in the first century would do, would do a similar thing to that in their teaching. They weren't the authority. They would need to reference the authority. And so their teaching would be based on what others would say. They'd say, so-and-so says this, dot, dot, dot. But then this person says that, dot, dot, dot. Jesus, he doesn't base what he says on others' authority. No, he is the authority. Jesus is the standard of truth. That is what is amazing people in the synagogue. Verse 27. And in fact, his authority to preach is so important, it's his priority. Look down later on in verse 37. Everyone is looking for Jesus. The way this phrase is, it's, it's almost a rebuke from Jesus' early disciples. As if they're saying, Jesus, what on earth are you doing? Everyone is looking for you. Why on earth would you choose to retreat from the situation? Get back in there. Your publicity is, the publicity is great. Your popularity is rising. And we've seen that through the, chat, through the passage. People are amazed. News about him spreads quickly, verse 28. The whole town gathers, verse 33. Everyone is looking for him, verse 37. And how does Jesus react, verse 38? Let's go. Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. For that is why I have come. Here's another theme to look out for as we journey through Mark, is the theme of the words of Jesus. His teaching, his preaching, his words are so significant. And yet, here in Mark is one of only two places in the whole of Mark where Jesus states his reason for coming. And he says, my primary aim is to preach. Why preach? Well, because it shows humanity's greatest need and our great solution. Do you remember at the end of last week's passage in verse 15, the first words recorded by Mark of Jesus? He says, repent and believe the good news. Jesus says, our greatest problem is not physical, it's not emotional, it's not financial, it's not material, 
It's spiritual. Jesus gets beyond the outward problems that we may have, and he looks straight in at the heart. Jesus' priority is to preach because he knows what our greatest need is. And more than anything, he wants people to know that. And so he preaches a message of repentance and forgiveness. He wants people to know that we have turned our backs on God. We have chosen to go our own way, making ourselves king of our own lives. And so he wants us to realize our sin, to repent, to turn back to God, to come back to him for forgiveness. You see, there will be a time of complete restoration, a time of physical restoration, a time and a place of healing, a place where there is no more tears, a place where there is no more evil, no more wrongdoing, a place where we will have all that we need. But Jesus wants us to know the only way of getting there is through forgiveness of sins. This is humanity's greatest need, and we'll see this in the next section next week. Jesus recognizes this, and so he knows this has to be his priority in his ministry. And so, verse 39, he goes out, traveling throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, and driving out demons. The driving out of demons, it it demonstrates his authority, it backs up his teaching. And so as we finish, did you notice the source of his authority in verses 35 to 37? It's an unusual few verses. It almost sticks out in Mark's gospel. The fast-paced gospel slows down. The narrative slows. Jesus gets away from it all, and he prays. You see, the Son of God, the most wise, powerful, authoritative man, yet relying totally on his Father. Do you know the, the next significant time that, that Mark speaks of when Jesus withdraws and prays is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus withdraws because he is fully reliant on his Father for what is coming up as he prepares to go to the cross. Jesus' priority in ministry, in his ministry, was to preach. He needed to tell people about their greatest need of sins forgiven. And then on the cross, he deals with humanity's greatest need. Jesus is judged so that you can be forgiven. Jesus dies so that you can know life. Jesus is rejected so that you can be accepted. That is why I've come, and I've got to preach about it, Jesus says. So then, will you trust in the authority of Jesus? Will you hear his call to follow him? What will that look like for your life? Maybe you're here this evening, and you're hearing that call for the very first time. Will you hear his call to follow him, to repent, to ask for forgiveness, and to follow him. If that's you, please do speak to someone you know who's a Christian. Come and speak to me if you want to. And if you're here as as a Christian, will you hear that call to follow him? And do you see what comes with that? What happens in the very same sentence? Jesus called 
the disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus says, come follow me and I will send you out. I will use you to spread the greatest news in the world, to let people know their greatest need of forgiveness of sins. Will we come and follow Jesus? And will we go out and take this greatest news to the people of Basingstoke who so desperately need to hear it? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the authority of Jesus. Thank you that he is totally in charge, and yet we see a loving authority, an authority that comes to heal and not to harm, an authority that comes to bring good news. Father, please help us to follow Jesus, whatever that might look like in our own individual lives. Please help us to go out and take this good news to the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to start off with kind of the demons and things like that, a couple on this. Um, why are the synagogues so demon-infested, it seems like? Mm. Um, uh, it seems a little bit odd. Uh, and are there de- demonic possessions today? Yeah, it's, it's a good spot that it seems to be in the synagogue. And I don't know why specifically. I wonder if it's almost how potentially sinful society had become when Jesus comes into it. And, and so, yeah, how, to use the word, evil has infested the synagogues, potentially. Um, whether there's, obviously in verse um, 23, the demon-possessed man is in the synagogue, um, whether there later on is implying that the demon possessions are happening in the synagogue or not, I'm not sure. Um, I remember reading this week that it's a real shock that this is happening in the synagogue, a place where, which is meant to be of purity, and yet demon possession is as an impurity. And so to have this person in the synagogue would have been outrageous, would have been, um, would have been awful. And so maybe it is to show the, the depths of almost depravity that um, society had become when Jesus comes in and goes, no, 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 this isn't good. Let me change this. Let me bring in a new kingdom of good news. So, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure why the two are so related, but maybe that's it. Um, does it happen today? It's an interesting one. I remember hearing someone say how um, if you were to go to other parts of the world and to different cultures, this would be really prevalent, and people would speak quite openly about demon possession. And yet in the West, if I can generalize that much, it's less prevalent and less common. Um, and so go to parts, say, of Africa, and, and they read this and go, yeah, we see this happening. We want this to be, we want, demon, uh, we want demons to be cast out because we see it. And so I wonder if, um, and so this person that was noting that just cautioned the danger of either downplaying or overplaying it. And so is there a danger in the West that because we don't see it so much, we downplay its prevalence and we downplay the significance in God's word of it, of it coming up? And, and so just as Christians, we trust and believe in the Holy Spirit of the spiritual realm. So as Christians, we need to be aware that there is an evil spiritual realm and there is a, spirit, there is a, um, a spiritual power at large that is evil and we need to be aware of that. And we want the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we might not fall to temptation from the evil spiritual realm. Um, So can it happen today? 
I guess, yes, it can. Is it prevalent in our society? No, I don't think it is. But go to other parts of the world, and, and it really will. And so we, we praise God that Jesus has authority over this part of the evil, over evil spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. I guess, um, our former rector, Clive, always used to um, point out that you know, there's not actually a, a lot about demons mm-hmm. in the Bible. They only <laughs> seem to sort of appear when God is really doing mm. works. So obviously, when Jesus uh, is on earth, um, around Elijah and Elisha, mm. um, but it sort of seems to be when, when God is particularly doing things, then the kind of that evil spiritual realm that you're, you're talking about sort of comes, becomes more obvious, uh, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah. and so <laughs> that could be a real rebuke to us in the <laughs> West of going, um, where is the church most growing, kind of Africa, Far East? Where does the evil spiritual realm seem to be more at large? Africa or visibly at large, Africa and the, and the Far East. So challenge of we pray that God would be at work more in the West, which may result in more spiritual attacks. Um, but we want God to be at work um, in, our, in our society, in our culture. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess uh, Jimmy, of course, happened to say it was probably a fairly similar answer. Um, so I think let's uh, change topic a little bit. Um, how do we know that Jesus' prayers were about reliance rather than anything else? Um, could he be, just be enjoying spending time with his father? Um, I, I think, yes. Yeah, he could definitely be spending time, enjoy, enjoying time with his father. I, I think um, prayer is enjoying time with God. Prayer also shows our total dependence and reliance on God. And I think Jesus shows us that. And I think that comes out in the Garden of Gethsemane, where um, Jesus is overwhelmed to the point of death. And so he, he needs the help of, of his father. And so he withdraws, he prays, when things are really, really tough. Um, and someone pointed out, we won't do this right now, have a read of it, the passage of Gethsemane. And, and just notice the change in Jesus having spent time with the Lord. He, he's overwhelmed to the point of, of, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He prays, if it is possible, the, uh, the hour might pass from him. And yet, once he's prayed, he comes back and he goes, enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is being betrayed. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. You almost see a change in Jesus having spent time with his Father, relying on him to go, right, let's do this. I'm, I'm ready. I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm ready to go, having spent time with his father. So yes, definitely enjoying time with his father, but also showing a total dependence and reliance on his father in prayer, which hopefully is true for us too when we pray. Enjoy time with our heavenly father. Rely totally on our heavenly father. Great, yes, it's not either. Either or. Mm, They they come hand in hand. Um, Great, okay, last one then that we've got time for uh, now. Um, uh, thinking about this, this, the good news that we had uh, that Mark says that his, his, gospel, his um, book is all about and the authority that we've heard about this week, how, how do those two connect? I, I think the assumption behind this question is that you know, we hear authority and it, it seems a bad thing. Mm. It seems something we want to try and rebel against um, because of, we don't experience good authority. Mm. So how, how do these two things connect in Mark? Yeah, and, and I think... Yeah, 
I think, try, try and put yourselves in the shoes of those in the first century waiting hundreds of years for this coming Messiah. And a man comes and says, here I am. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Um, and I have come to bring in a new kingdom. With a new kingdom, there is authority. But it's not a bad authority. And, and as Tim says, I wonder if we're just so... Um, so kind of blurred by the authorities we see. And it would have been true, I'm sure, in the first century of, of the authority of the Roman Empire that the Jews were living under. And so another man comes and goes, I've got a new authority, and go, oh no, what's this going to be? And he says, my authority is all about good news. The kingdom of God is good news. And so the challenge is to see the authority of Jesus as a wonderfully good authority to come under. Um, and so, let me challenge you to come under that good authority, to enjoy the good authority of Jesus Christ, and to take that out to other people to show that this is a good authority to come under. It's a good, loving Heavenly Father who wants good things for us and to bless us with forgiveness of sins. And so, the challenge to show that authority can be good, here is a good, wonderful example from Jesus Christ. Um, if that's not quite what you're getting at with the question, do come and grab me afterwards um, because I'd love to answer that, how you were asking it, what you were getting at with the question. And I'm sure the other questions as well. That we Definitely, yeah, 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 do come and grab me with the ones yeah. we haven't had time for. Yeah, great, thank you.